Hello and welcome to a black movie podcast where we celebrate black culture through its cinema by reviewing, discussing, and just generally enjoying black-led films from a range of different genres and time periods. My name is Andre and today with me we have Lauren, James, and Ryan. And this week's movie is Moonlight. Moonlight, the 2017 Oscar winner for Best Picture in this film. Mahershala Ali also won an Oscar for his role in the film. It had won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. It had several Oscar nominations. Uh, I could go through them all here, but that would be kind of boring for the next five minutes or so. So I'm just going to move on to the box office. The film was made for a budget, for a $4 million budget, and it opened to $400,000 on its opening weekend in the U.S., ended up grossing uh, about $28 million in the U.S. and just over $65 million worldwide, which for a $4 million movie is pretty good. 10 to 1, over a 10 to 1 gain right there. Quick summary of the movie is that we follow a young man by the name of Chiron through his life as he battles with his sexuality and his harsh living conditions growing up in Liberty City, which is a neighborhood in Miami, Florida. Or is it Miami-Dade County? A neighborhood in Miami-Dade County. Now let's get into everybody's just initial thoughts on things. And so I'm just going to popcorn it out there. What did you all think of the movie? I absolutely loved it. I will say I really, really liked it as well. It was honestly very beautiful and intimate. Like it was a very intimate feeling film. The close-up shots, the beautiful cinematography, the way the characters sort of relate to each other. It just felt really familiar and intimate. And it had a really calming, introspective tone to it um, that I really appreciated. Yeah, I agree. I also really like this movie. And this was not a movie that I saw like in its initial run. Um, I remember when it won the Oscars or won, was at the Oscars and won a bunch of awards. Um, but I didn't know anything about it really. And so I didn't really have any expectations of what this movie was going to be about. Um, and I was honestly like pretty blown away. Like I, I can't say that I was excited to watch it mostly. Because this is not the style of movie that I would typically watch. Um, but it's making me think maybe I should watch more movies like this. I can understand that. I mean, I think that I knew a lot about the movie, but hadn't actually watched it. There's a clip from a scene late in the movie that had floated around after it won the Oscar. That was used to show the kind of depth to the performances that what the actors were giving in Moonlight. And I saw that and I realized, okay, yes, this is going to be a very emotional movie. And I didn't have the emotional bandwidth for it. So I, I said, I'll watch that later. And this is a heck of a week to, to watch like a very melancholy movie, um, in a number of ways. But I'm actually really glad that I did. I, I really enjoyed the cinematography. I really loved the texture that just came through, um, for the place where. Uh, where Chiron grew up, uh, you saw so many different dimensions of it. And there were just a lot of great performances all the way around from bit parts to um, uh, to, to leading roles. I, I felt like it was just a remarkably well-acted movie. Yeah, same. That's one of the things that I noticed uh, during my first watch through of the movie. This was my second watch through of the movie. Um, I caught it when it was in its theater theater run. And I was I just remember being so blown away by the movie that I was just telling everybody to go watch it and nobody did. So I was a little disappointed. But also too, in that, it was a tough sell for people because, uh, you know, I remember talking to my dad, my mom about it, a few friends about it. And it seemed like the only ones that were actually like genuinely interested were uh, people that were film people. One of the things I did notice during that time was that it was very tough to get a lot of black people to go see this movie, which kind of fit some of the things that was that were happening in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um I think during the second watch through though, I just I just really just enjoyed it. Like everything about it just came together in such a very nice way. 
This isn't to say that it's flawless, but it just came together well. And I just want to mention real quick, amongst all of the awards that it was nominated for at the Oscars, it was also nominated for its cinematography and editing, which are on just another level. And so I wanted to get a feel for what you guys thought about just the choice of shots and the, you know, as Lauren said, why, how did the intimacy really work in the movie for you guys? I will say I'm not at all surprised to think about this being a movie that mostly film people want to see because this is definitely a movie that film lovers will adore, right? Like the entire thing is just a beautiful piece of classical music, basically. Like it's just perfect in its execution. It's, it is a it is a film buffs movie, right? It's not the kind of thing that their audiences are going to gravitate towards. It's not a Marvel movie. It's not a comedy or a detective movie or something that gets the average person off the street. It's like going to a museum and, and enjoying a nice piece of art, right? Like halfway through the movie, I thought about, you know, the last one we watched together was Aquila and the Bee, and we talked about how that was the kind of film that white kids often get, but you don't often see young black kids in films like that. And I feel that way about this movie, too. This is the kind of like coming of age, beautiful indie drama that white people have all the time, but black people barely ever have. And I also think that's made us somewhat like uh, less likely to gravitate towards it because we feel like it's not really made for us. But every single part of it was like deeply made um, for the black community. In terms of the cinematography, like I loved all the close sort of like half shots. It felt very much like what my normal field of vision would be. It all felt really authentic, but it wasn't like heavily, it didn't feel overly staged in the way that some really pretty cinematic shots can, can feel, right? Um, it just felt really natural. Uh, it felt close up. I felt like I was standing there having conversations with the characters on the screen. I loved the way that it made black skin look, which is always a problem I have in movies that a lot of um, a lot of folks just don't know how to light black skin, especially when you have a lot of darker skinned characters. And in this case, they really use like black skin as an art form. Even the shots of like Sharon, there's lots of shots of him in the moonlight, obviously throughout the film. And each one of those shots is absolutely gorgeous looking. And there's one shot that I particularly loved where Sharon and Kevin are sitting in the sand at the beach at night. And there's a shot uh, that's a close up of, I think, uh, Sharon's hand digging into the sand and it's just beautifully textured and uh, with that and the soundtrack and background of like sort of like the classical custom made music for this film it's honestly just a really enjoyable moment essentially no I, I totally agree um, I think that the use of color and the use of lighting in this movie was really superb like it's really hard to overstate how how much they use the the use of color to to define certain characters in certain spaces. There's there's one particular example from the first act of the movie uh, where uh, Chiron's mother, uh, who has a drug problem, comes out of her bedroom and you see the bedroom bathed in this magenta light. And it's the only time you ever see that kind of lighting in the movie. But it, it, it you know, you see a scene earlier in the movie where she basically takes her drug paraphernalia and runs it to her bedroom and that door opening and that that light bathing out that's like a completely different tone and color than all the other spaces just kind of screams at the like they're like this is not a space for you in a way that was just really fascinating there were lots of moments like that throughout the film and i really started appreciating it midway through when i noticed how different characters were rendered in different spaces and particularly how Chiron's interactions with people um, in the daytime were so much different than his interactions at night and how the the camera really led you to, to like Lauren said, to see through, to feel like you're looking through his eyes at a lot of those different scenes. Um, I thought it just worked tremendously well. Yeah, I didn't um, have a, a lot to think during while I was watching the movie about the cinematography. Like it was, it was very much something that I thought about, you know, after it was all said and done. But the editing, I thought, was really, really spot on. And it, it, it caught my eye even um, while watching the movie to, to know how these shots were kind of put together. The pacing of the movie, I thought, was really, really good. Um, I'm not surprised that it got nominated for an editing award because it really 
I think put together each individual scene in, in such a way and the transitions between scenes were like sort of magical in a lot of cases. Um, but, but thinking back on the cinematography afterwards, it's interesting, Ryan, that you mentioned that kind of purple magenta hue from the room. And there's so many scenes where like the colors are sort of crazy. Like bl blue is kind of a theme throughout this movie, but it makes a lot of the movie feel sort of ethereal and then in certain contexts, it's like, oh, no, this is like real life. The, the, I think the movie definitely did a good job of like sort of transitioning between these things that could be, you know, fanciful with juxtaposition of, oh, no, in real life, when we have real lighting, that's when the real stuff starts to happen. Yeah, that was, I guess I'm on the opposite end of that, because uh, those parts where we're in like that fanciful uh view of things that really for my second watch through at least it took me out of some of the emotions and stuff because of how real the movie ends up getting at points like it was a little bit jarring but i'm right in line with lauren and ryan here where the color was amazing to me lesser so on uh, we were talking about those moments or how people were costumed or the moment where we had the magenta light in the hallway. Uh, more of, uh, I said a little bit more with Lauren here, was the uh, color of the skin tones and how that really shifted throughout the movie. Um, remember early on in the movie, it was a lot of yellows uh, in the dark skin tones. And, you know, that eventually became the uh, the orange. And it felt like a nice little, um, nice little uh, adjustment on the typical uh, Hollywood color scheme that we typically see, which is that uh, teal and that orange. And we got a little bit more of a blue and yellow or a blue and orange. Um, that said, the film also has a bit of a weird structure in that there's three distinct components. Part of that comes from the fact that it's an adaptation of a stage play um, that was, I don't think the stage play was ever produced. Uh, but what do you guys think about that, where we had these three little snippets of his life? I actually really liked the three snippets. I, and I, I agree with um, James' comment before about the editing, and that's just being absolutely amazing. Like, the movie's pacing is amazing. It is in no hurry to get anywhere. It knows exactly the story it wants to tell. It's telling it exactly the right amount of time for the story it's not too long and it's not too short but because it's split up in those three little stages where you get these you know subsections of Sharon's life first him as a small boy him as a teenager him as an adult and it doesn't make the effort in each of those vignettes to connect the dots for you about what happened in between it's not important right and I really love that I love the fact that it's essentially just slices of this person's life and you're kind of like going on in the moment and as you go through the, you know, second and third sections, you have the knowledge of at least what happened in the first and then second section, but it's really just a, a complete story in of itself, right? Each one is a complete story in and of themselves. And I really kind of liked the way they approached that. It also shows you how he's growing through time by explicitly cutting it into three sections as opposed to uh, glossing over the fact that time is passing right by just having him suddenly be an adult or something like that yeah i agreed i loved the three structure component the three-part structure i didn't know that was part of the movie like i honestly thought that like marshallah ali was gonna be the main character of the movie only some because i'd heard he had won an oscar so like i didn't have any context for really like the story they were trying to tell so when the transition scene from part one to part two, like really caught me off guard. Um, and the way that they moved those between those two sections, I thought was really, really cool. Um, I agree with Lauren that I don't think the movie needs anything in between. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that I wish there was only because I love all of these characters and I just want more of them. Um, so the movie didn't need it. Like it was pretty much spot on, but I would have loved to have seen just more of Juan. I would have loved to have seen more of Chiron as he was 
moving from place to place. Like I just I just wanted to experience more of these characters' lives. Um, real quick, there, James. That point about Juan, I uh, I got something I want to uh, mention about that later once we get into the spoiler territory. Yeah, same here. He was a great character. Yeah, a fantastic character. The fact that he won an Oscar for essentially a third of a movie where <laughs> where he was not the protagonist shows just how crazy talented and crazy skilled he is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really just a masterful performance. I found myself rewinding parts of the movie, just looking at the mannerisms that he invented for Juan um, that I don't see in other 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 cinema work that he's done where it's like he really created this this character who feels like a whole complete person in a ridiculously short amount of time like it's it's really incredible how much you felt you you knew Juan you know innately through through what was really just a few conversations when you look at the total runtime um it, it's it's really impressive yeah and um just before we get over to uh Spoil to that spoiler talk, um, and get into some of our favorite characters here. Um, I wanted to mention just because of my struggle, my first time watching this film, getting people to watch it. Did you all? Do you all have like people in mind that you would recommend uh, this movie to? I would absolutely recommend this movie to my nephews when they're maybe a little bit older. I mean, they're like nine and ten right now, so. I would probably wait till they were teenagers, but I think it would be a great movie for them because of the themes that it has around black men, masculinity, sexual identity, et cetera, I think are really important ones that don't get talked about enough. That was one of the things I loved about, you know, Juan's character in particular, um, is he created a great counterpart, a counterpoint for some of the more typical stereotypes you often see in this particular space. But I did really appreciate the movie is very much about Sharon figuring out who he is. Right, like who he is, what he is, and how to be comfortable with that. And I think that's something that I would want, frankly, like all young kids to have an opportunity to sort of like witness. My nephews also come to mind. I have a, a lot of them of varying ages from I think as young as like fourteen up to like twenty two or so. Um and I could imagine recommending this movie to them. Uh and also to my mom. I think it would be it's because it's so different in the way it portrays masculinity and black men. I think it would be sort of refreshing for my mom to get some additional perspectives than what media would normally tell her, you know, black men should be like. No, yeah, I agree. Um, I also thought of young family members. Um, I would also recommend it to to a lot of LGBTQ folks, because I know that representation in movies that um especially uh, black queer folks um representation in movies like this doesn't come as often and this one is done with with love in a way that is really hard to hard to overstate there's just a lot of love and understanding around um around the character there's a lot of implicit acceptance of um of Shiraz identity as, as not a as not a problem that he has to solve like it is in some other movies. It's really just, uh, you know, who are you going to be is like the core question of the movie and how are you going to define that? And I think that that's a message that for a lot of folks, you know, who are creating their own identity as they're, as they're getting older, this would be really useful for. Yeah. I think you all went with the, in a different place uh, than I went when I first saw this movie. I, I initially texted my dad as soon as I saw this movie because my dad typically watches most movies I recommend to him. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, I talked to a few friends about it. But the main people I was thinking about was my mom and stepdad. Or were my mom and stepdad. Because they're typically uh, very, you know, that person that's very supportive of black art and black filmmaking. But it was still to them a very tough sell. Which is unfortunate. Because it is a very, very good movie. And in terms of black art and black cinema, I think that Barry Jenkins, James Laxton, and uh, the rest of the people a part of this movie really, like, they did a superb job, but, like, this is, like, up there with, it's like the uh, pinnacle of black excellence, so to speak. The, you know, the phrase that gets thrown out there all the time when we do talk about black art. But 
uh, on that note, I want to move over to our spoiler talk, which is happening a little bit sooner than we normally might do it. But I feel like it's very hard to talk about this movie without getting into the spoilers, more so than uh, any other that we've covered so far. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. I really want to talk about so many things that are spoilers. And so with on that note, I'm just going to say, if you haven't seen the movie, stop right now. Go watch it. Come back. We're at just about 23 minutes here. Well, 23 minutes on our recording, probably closer to like 20 minutes. All that is to say, stop now. Go watch the movie. Uh, It's currently available on Netflix. uh, So if you haven't had a chance to catch it, Netflix currently has a Black Lives Matter collection um, inside of its um, its recommender system. And Moonlight is one of the movies that shows up there. It also, if you don't, for whatever reason, have the Black Lives Matter thing, you can always look for critically acclaimed movies. It's usually in the top 10 on that list at any given time. And for those that don't have uh, Netflix, I also want to mention that it is available for purchase on uh, Amazon Prime. I'm just going to suggest that people rent it or purchase it on Amazon Prime because this movie deserves all the revenue that we can provide to its its filmmakers, filmmaker team, and also to signify that people want more of this kind of storytelling. And, and I ordered the blue one. People do. The Blu-ray. Right. Like we should we need more of this kind of storytelling. It's not even really a question. So buy it, rent it, throw money at Ali as he walks on the street, whatever it takes. <laughs> well, on that note, I'm just gonna turn it to you guys and let you guys kind of take the discussion from here. Um because I got I've been waiting like three years to talk about this movie with someone, so <laughs> Uh, I could go all day, but I want to make sure that we hit the points that you guys wanted to talk about. I'm glad that we're here for you that way. I mean, since you've waited so long, I really, I really want to know, Andre, like what was, what is like the, one of the biggest things you've been waiting to say about this movie? Uh, it's, it's really good. No, uh, (laughs) (laughs) one of the things I thought was really cool getting back to, uh, what we were talking about, the character Juan was how... The end of the movie, Chiron, uh, who is now called Black during that uh, stage of the movie, how he basically modeled his drug dealer self after Juan. Yeah. And so for everyone that was wondering, it's like, oh, man, this Juan character is great. We're, you know, where is he in the movie? Like, we kind of got him towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really actually like that part because I think it's so but obviously the movie has themes around um personal identity and sexuality and sort of being comfortable with who you are and determine what that is but it also actually says a lot about parenting and adult allyship for folks right like it is explicitly showing you what a good mentor or parental relationship looks like in in Juan and Teresa versus what it's showing you in Sharon's mother Paula and like with Juan and Teresa, like they are loving, they are understanding, they are patient, they are kind. They, you know, give him food and space and teach him how to swim and help him feel comfortable with himself. And Juan himself actually exhibits a lot of the stereotypes that are really associated with black men, right? He's a drug dealer. He's, you know, kind of a kind of a tough guy, even though he doesn't have to be about most of the time. But he looks and sort of acts the, the part of a stereotypical, like, street dealer. But he's also really sensitive. He's really progressive for what the time period would have been in particular at that part of the film. And he is above all, like, there for Chiron. Like, whatever he needs, he is basically there for him. And so I thought it was really telling when Chiron grows up and becomes a very different version of himself. Like, a hugely, completely different version. I was like, is that that? Is that the same kid? Like, are we pretending like that's the same kid? Because this is not the same kid. Um, and at first, like, he really it basically is just, he's Juan. Um, and it made a lot of sense that he essentially turned into the person he felt the safest with. Right? Like, and that's the adult identity that he carried into the future with him. I thought that was really sweet. Because it was basically, like I said, it was bringing Juan back into the film. And it showcased how much we missed Juan. Because after Juan was no longer in the movie, you know, he disappears after the first act. And you, you know, you you kind of figure out that he died at some point between the, the first part and the second part, but you don't know when or why or how or any of those things. And it doesn't really matter. He's gone. And that's the important thing. But you miss his presence and you kind of get it back a little bit in part three 
which is also showing that Sharon missed his presence and kind of found a way to bring him back into his life. And I just thought that was really awesome. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that, I mean, it went beyond just like the, the general broad modeling of I'm going to sell drugs and start trapping because that's what Juan was doing. It was a full on Juan cosplay. He had the same dashboard ornament. He drove the same kind of car. He had like the same kind of, of, of do rag on diamond um, stud earrings. Yeah. The, uh, the gold fronts. Um, there was just so much stuff that was like just really, really perfect. And, and you're right. I think that, um, the idea of Juan as surrogate father figure also speaks to why Juan bothered with Chiron in the first place. I think that, you know, in the when they first meet, it's because Chiron's been running from a gang of kids who who have been picking on him because of his sexuality. They chased him into uh, an abandoned drug house. Um, so he's sitting there in the bando, you know, up and. When you first meet, uh, when, when Juan and Sharon first meet, it's in an abandoned house and being able to see, see them come together. Uh, and I, I feel like you watch, uh, Juan in that moment see Chiron in a, in a way that none of the other adults in his life are really seeing him. Like he sees him, he goes, like, Why is this kid here? Why is this kid in an abandoned house in the middle of the day in a drug den? And it's because whatever's out there is worse. And, you could see him instantly go from I need to go protect the space that, you know, I'm trapping into I need to take care of this child because I see something of myself in him. And yeah, like I, I definitely think that there was it was a really masterful touch to see the number of times where where Juan pauses and like goes to come back to Chiron. Like he goes to he, he goes to drop him off at his mother's place and he goes to leave you know, before he opens it for his mom opens the door but you see him stop himself and go back it's almost like he's telling himself to be there for chiron the way that his father wasn't for him yeah um but one one place i want to go since we're talking about juan is what like we are talking about him as though he was a hero in the movie which in the movie he kind of was but he was also pretty much the cause of the main issue <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, which was interesting to see and so my impression that i got especially with the way that that first act ended was that he was pretty once he understood uh the situation he was pretty guilty and that was part of the reason why he wanted to sort of take care of sharon uh i think it was referred to as little during uh that segment of the movie and so like what was that motivation or I guess the better question is is Juan responsible for Chiron uh in the in that part of the movie? Is he actually responsible for his situation? I mean partially. I will say, like, I don't think that it's fair to paint Juan as either a hero or a villain, honestly. I think Chiron or I don't think Juan is the embodiment of the fact that people are shades of gray and sometimes the people that care about you make terrible decisions that hurt you. That's also evident with Paula too, as you know, Sharon's mother who makes a lot of terrible mistakes, um, becomes a crack addict, hurts him intentionally and terribly through a large parts of the movie and then later realizes what she's done and like apologizes, right? Like sometimes people have done really bad things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were bad people but that they have to actually acknowledge what they've done. And I think that Juan is essentially that person that is, he is the reason or part of the reason anyway, not the entire reason, part of the reason why Chiron is experiencing the pain he's experiencing in, in, with regards to his mother and her drug addiction. He wasn't intentionally trying to hurt Chiron. It's just, it's, he has done all these bad things. It's led to people's lives being destroyed. He has to actually deal with that as part of this, but it's not everything that he is either. I actually think the that the fact that we end section one with basically this like realization and we don't get the payoff of how that shook out is probably the one thing in the movie that like I and I mentioned earlier that I wish there was a little bit more, but this is the one section where I'm like, I kind of feel like there should be a little bit more because we we really leave section one with 
Juan admitting that effectively he has caused the problem that Shiran is having to deal with with his mother. And then that's the end. And that's the last time we see it. We don't, we don't see, we make an assumption that there was a reconciliation eventually. Um, uh, because Sharon is still having a good relationship with Teresa. But like, I left that scene thinking, Oh, Sharon never saw them again. Like that, that would like that broke whatever relationship they were trying to build. Um, and I would have loved to have seen a little bit more or at the very least gotten a sense a little bit more of what that turnaround might have looked like from the Juan and Teresa perspective. I will say that Teresa is one of the characters that I wish I had more time and structure with. Uh, she's played by Janelle Monet, which was a surprise for me. And I love and so I assess with Janelle. So it's really it was really cool to see see her in this. Like, like, I don't think I ever figured out what Janelle, I'm sorry, what, what, uh, Teresa does. <laughs> and, and I don't know. And there's not a lot of characters where I realize I don't have that kind of knowledge about. And considering how she stayed an important part of Shiron's life as a maternal figure, or the closest thing he had to, you know, a non trifling maternal figure. Yeah. Like, there's a part of me that, that wishes I had explored that a bit more. It was sad she wasn't a third part. Like, she was the one where I was like, oh, like, I mean, she gets mentioned briefly, but you never see her. And that, that bummed me out because I was hoping, yeah, that she was still like, would be on screen at some point. Cause she was a really comforting figure on screen. And I know a lot of Teresa's. So it also helped. And like, I absolutely know this woman and everything about her. Yes. And she just feels super familiar. So yeah, it was a little bit of a bummer that you only see her in the first two sections. I think during uh, this watch, I was definitely struck by uh, Juan, and um, I was, and seems like you guys were too. But I remember my first watch through, the person that stuck out to me was Kevin, and uh, his presence uh, throughout the movie I felt like helped uh, Chiron validate uh, himself, and uh, so um, just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on uh, that character, Kevin. I don't know about y'all, but I knew so many Kevins in my life. Like people like Kevin. He, he felt so familiar to me. I'm like, Oh, I see so and so like writing you. Like I loved his foil. It went in a direction that I wasn't expecting, to be honest. Like I, I really expected that Kevin Sharon relationship to blow up in a different way than the way it sort of played out in the movie which I thought was pretty interesting, but like, I really like understood sort of the motions that he was going through. And Kevin in the third part, I don't know. I think Kevin in the third part is my favorite of the three Kevins. There's just, there's something about like a person who has been through these experiences and is like, man, I know I like messed up. And I, I just, I really like third part Kevin a lot, but overall I, I think Kevin is a great character. Yeah, I love third part Kevin. He's just got so much genuine swagger in like a happy way. Like he's just actually through the whole movie, he's a really pretty happy dude. Like he's just doing his thing and he seems comfortable for the most part, like with who and how he is. Talks a mile a minute, but by the end, he's just sort of like gelled into this really like interesting, reflective, wise person who's sort of like looked back on all the things that he's done right and wrong. And has found kind of like peace with himself. Uh, and I really like him. I will say that throughout the the whole film, he's a really interesting character. Um, it was really heartbreaking for me when he kind of betrays Chiron and like beats him up. He knows exactly what's coming. Like you can see him at the cafeteria table kind of knowing that he's being egged into something and not being sure what it is, but suspecting it was going to be bad. But then when it actually comes down to the, what's called a fight, um, where he, you know, and the, I forget the bully's name. I think it was Terrell. Thank you, Terrell, like, encourages him to hit Chiron and, like, doesn't want to do it, but he does anyway. Like, that was one of the two moments of, like, actually maybe two or three moments of just betrayal between people that were otherwise in it together, right? Like, there's an initial moment early in the film where Juan is dropping Chiron off at his mother's house after having him stay the night with him and Teresa, and he goes to fist bump. Uh, Sharon goodbye and you know, Paula pulls Sharon away so he can't 
And he gives her like a complete and utter look of betrayal at that moment because they know each other and it should be cool, right? And it's not. And the same thing happens then when Kevin hits Sharon basically and turns on him after everything they've just been through together, like what I think might be the night before. I'm not really sure of the timeline. I was going to say, now that I think about it, the his mother pulling him away from, you know, from the fist bump, knowing that that was, that was her dealer gives that a whole different perspective that makes my heart hurt. Um, <laughs> thinking about, I didn't get the impression that he knew her until he confronted her later. Did, did y'all get the impression that they knew each other? I think whether if, if, if she didn't, if he didn't know her, she definitely knew him. Because yeah. that's just the kind of way dealers work. Is it like, you know who the dealers are in the neighborhood? Especially if your supply is coming from them and their people. Like, I expect her to at least know who uh, who Juan was for sure. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, in that first moment, I had no idea. Afterwards, it became clear that he was her dealer. I was like, oh, that does, like, Brian, that sheds a whole new light on things. But I'm not really sure how much he recognized her necessarily either. Um, coming home from work. Right. Like, as opposed to in other clothes, right. That kind of thing can change. But yeah, for Kevin, like he was a really great character. I, it was really heartbreaking when he turned on Sharon in particular. And I did appreciate in the, you know, end of when he calls Sharon up and he, he apologizes for that actually owns up to like the mistakes that he made. Um, especially given that that attack is what led to Sharon essentially like beating up Terrell and going to Juvie himself. Right. So that kind of started Sharon on the path to becoming new Juan. Just because of that. Also, I think it's complete BS that Sharon went to Juvie for that. Like, yeah, I mean, he may have broken a chair against the dude's back, but like, they all knew he deserved it. It so, was like, it was aggravated assault. Yeah. <laughs> it was aggravated assault. He's going away for that one. Yeah, but it felt unfair given that even the teacher knew he was yeah. constantly being bullying, right? And they just saw him get beat up terribly right beforehand. So like it feels like there should have been some mitigation as part of that. But also he's a he's a kid that wouldn't have anyone speaking up for him at sentencing. So there would be no one right. who could say, No, this is this is different and here's why. Because his mother wasn't gonna do that, right? But I will say about that moment. I remember being in a theater and then you had like the l typical loud reactions. I had to like stop myself from cheering. <laughs> I knew it was coming like a as a kid who's like walked in the school the day after a big fight and luckily had friends to stop him from like grabbing something like I, the, the camera angle they used as Chiron's walking into the school, his eyes are wide. You could, you could tell that like, you know, he stared at himself in the mirror too long and he's decided what he's going to do about it. And it's very much the, you know, it, it wasn't even just just that fight. That was the repressed, the repressed violence from the entire movie in one act. And uh, and, and he got in a really good blow. I will say that scene of him walking through the school and through the, each set of doors, just every time he went through a set of doors, just like the you just it ratcheted up the tension and like another like second you're like waiting for it and waiting for it waiting for it and yeah it was actually a satisfying payoff even though it was really sad same time i was honestly expecting a gun so like that was better <laughs> in some ways i mean for me personally it almost felt like that was the climax of the movie was seeing him like finally fight back and then like the last 45 minutes was an epilogue where we were finally dealing with some of that uh leftover like some of the lingering questions that we had and that's part of the reason why i asked earlier about the three act or like the three distinct uh glimpses into his life because one of my criticisms of the movies that it did feel like we were lingering on that last section too long and so i was wondering if you guys kind of felt that in terms of time how did the movie feel uh feel to you guys uh, I definitely think that the pacing for the third section is a lot slower, but it's it's I guess to me, it felt like because we sort of knew everything up to that point, like section one and section two is very much a let's learn about these characters. Let's learn about this world. Section three is like we're dealing with the repercussions of all the stuff from section one and section two. So like I didn't feel as into the actual like minute to minute 
what was happening because it was more like a resolution of everything else. Uh, so I would agree that like the end of section two is the climax of the movie. And then section three is just like it all kind of coming down. But I still didn't feel like it was too long. Like I thought it, it lasted probably about as, as long as I would have wanted that one to be. Yeah. Section three was my least favorite section only because section one and two were so good. And I really loved the world they had built up around Sharon. I will say section three, I think is where all the really important things happen, right? It's like, it's where all the things that build you up as a kid kind of culminate in who you decide you're going to be as an adult. And I found it really, it was the only time where I found it really jarring to cut from um, Sharon as a teenager to, you know, black as an adult and having him look and act so completely differently than he had in the previous C sections. At first I was like, this is weird. And I assume that this is a statement about like how much GB has changed him and all these things, but he's, so completely like a hundred and eighty degree difference in behavior between the shy kid that you know mumbles can really look at people doesn't really speak a whole lot to like this dude over here who is basically any any guy off the street and he was like a lot of swagger and confidence you know it's quiet and that was really i found that really uh jarring at first but then when kevin calls him and he hears kevin's voice for the first time he immediately reverts back to the Sharon that I knew from the rest of the movie. And watching watching that shift happen in real time in the movie was completely amazing. Like, Trevante Rhodes is ridiculously amazing at being both really tough and yet vulnerable at the same time. And that was the moment where he sold me as an actor and as, and as the character because he suddenly, like, just withdrew into himself and he stopped being able to speak properly. And he, even though he was in a room by himself, he couldn't really like meet anyone at eye level. And he's just become that little kid again. Um, and so that was a moment where the third, the third section became really important to me as part of the film. And from then on, I was just really invested in him going and meeting Kevin and seeing what their conversation was going to be like and whether or not he could find that version of himself again. Yeah, you know what's funny is that a lot of the apprehensions that uh, you had during that third act, like you perfectly described a lot of people's onset reactions when they first saw Trevante Rhodes walk in the room to play Chiron. <laughs> uh, because uh, I can't remember what interview. I've watched a lot of stuff about this movie because uh, I loved it so much uh, when I first saw it. But remember, there's some interview out there where Barry Jenkins was talking about everyone on set. Where they're looking at this guy's like, you know, this big muscle bound dude, like, how is he gonna, you know, show the range that we're actually asking him to do? And then he walks in and they just looking at his eye movements, everyone's just blown away by how much like he was able to get across. He absolutely nailed it. It was honestly it completely rivaled Mahershala's whole first act, just being able to make that switch. And become that version of of Sharon again was just incredible, and he kept it up through the rest of the movie. Like he he during the conversation in the diner with with Kevin, like he kind of oscillated a little bit back and forth, but absolutely perfectly. And I was like, oh, this is the kid that's just been playing a part the whole time, and he has suddenly become he's come back to who he was because he's back in his hometown, so he's back to being Sharon. Right? He can't be black anymore. He's not in Atlanta. He's not in a new space where people didn't know him and his past and all that stuff. Like he's back with his oldest friend, the only person that he's ever really been intimate with. And this is basically who he is. It was just beautifully did, like acted. Yeah. I really feel like, I don't know if he was nominated or not for an Oscar, but if he wasn't, he should have been. Cause like the, the acting in that third set for him was really good. And the other part, the other scene that really convinced me that, his acting was really top notch is when Kevin is describing his kid that he's had and Sharon's demeanor like completely changes. He gets jealous. It changes from like heartbreaking. Yeah, he gets he's super jealous. Like all the swagger that he had been trying to like keep up to that point just like completely falls apart. Like and in the look in his face, it, it like said it all. And I, that's the part where I was really sold, and I was like, "Oh no! Like this, this dude is gonna be somebody." 
No, yeah, there, there, there's a, there's a moment there where he asks Kevin, like, well, why did you call me? Uh, and it's clear that like, there's so much, there was so much hurt in the phrase of, of the clear, the like, you have other options to perceive hu- human intimacy and relationships. And I don't, why did you bother calling me? Uh, that, um, really just, you know, transmitted how much of that character he was inhabiting. And I think it was just a, like, like you all said, it was a tremendous job acting because I had the same reaction. I think that so much of the movie in the third act is about how much Chiron has repressed uh, from his past. Like we've witnessed all of these things. We've seen all these traumas and in some ways his donning of the wand cosplay, as I keep calling it, apparently um, is a protective armor against all of those things that hurt him. You know, he won't necessarily be caught up in, in doing drugs. If he's the one selling drugs, he's not going to be mistaken for uh, he's he's not going to be called out or clocked as someone who's homosexual if he's you know muscle bound and and looks gangster like you know he can you know he builds up his body so that he can defend himself at all times so he won't be jumped again like there there's so many things there that are all direct threads to the experiences in the first two acts of the movie it just took me a while to to see how they culminated into um into black who he you know who he became and it was really gratifying to see some of that start to let go. I don't think we can go without talking about the final scene of the movie where, you know, like he's in, he and Kevin are in um, a very tender embrace uh, and the, and the scene flips to the same riverfront that they were sitting in front of, I'm assuming. And, you know, a young, you know, from act one, little Chiron standing in the moonlight and looking back um, and it was just a completely gorgeous shot. It, there were, there were so many parts of this movie that were arresting, but that was very much, I, I couldn't think of a better way to, a better way to end it. And you actually start hearing the sound of the waves lapping in uh, before you even get to that scene. Like while he's there, like Kevin is stroking his, stroking his hair um, and comforting him. And you start to hear the sound of the waves and it brings back the conversation they had in um, act two. Uh, was it um, at, at the at the riverfront about how he sought comfort in the water ever since uh, Juan taught him how to swim? It was just really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I want to rewind a bit. We're talking about the performance that um, now that we're talking about Sharon uh, uh, here, uh, we talked about Javante Rhodes and his excellent performance. I also want to rewind to um, Ashton Sanders, uh, who played him uh, during that second phase when he was a teenager getting bullied at school. And how good of a job that he did as well. Like, he was, like, he hit, I felt like he hit all of the emotional beats that he was supposed to hit. Which I think can be said for all of the actors, uh, or in the movie. But, uh, he in particular really sold, uh, that part of the, that part of the film for me. And so, how well do you think that, that's not the right way to phrase it. I don't English well. How good of a job did he do in you guys' eyes? I, I think that he was really tremendous. I mean, we talked about like characters that we recognize in our lives, and I absolutely recognize like young Chiron in my life. That is, I, I've seen that that awkward teenager in so many places uh, in life because I do a lot of work with young folks, and. There was, there's so much there, you know, the, the, the way that his eyes searched, um, around the situations to figure out, you know, whether he was in danger or not. I felt like he was constantly scanning, which itself, now that I think about it, is a throwback to one of the scenes with Juan and Teresa where Juan literally picks him up and says, you can't sit here at this table. You need to sit on the other side so you can always, you don't have your back to an entrance. You need to be able to see everything that's happening in front of you. And like it, it, it there's so many places where, you see the weight of everything this kid has been carrying and just the way that he walks and the way that he sets his lip. It was just a really tremendous job. I thought that, and also I thought that the, the actor for, for, for young Chiron, uh, for, for little was haunting, I guess is the best word for it. It, it, you know, he very much pulled off the kid in a terrible situation who you feel bad, who you feel bad watching go through this in a way that, um, just like completely kept with the character. I just want to insert real quick the name of so 
just three real quick things. Uh, Little, who's uh, young, Sharon, I was pronouncing that wrong the whole podcast. I apologize for that. But Little uh, was played by Alex Hibbert, which I do believe this was his first feature film. And uh, Ashton Sanders, um, as I mentioned earlier, played Chiron. And then uh, Black, who's the older version of uh, Chiron, uh, was played by Trevante Rhodes, as we mentioned earlier. None of them talked to each other about playing this uh, single character throughout the movie. Um, Barry Jenkins wanted them all to just bring their own interpretations to it. And he also had all of the actors for Kevin do the exact same thing. Thought that was a really interesting note when I read through some of the trivia for this movie, which side note, read the trivia for this movie because it is, there's some really, one, it gives you a good context for how important this film was uh, for a lot of different groups, not just uh, uh, black people, but also there's a lot of sp- interesting tidbits for a lot of firsts are associated with this movie. I see, like thinking about the actors here, like when I had no idea that they didn't talk to each other, they did an amazing job at essentially just finding the same kind of themes. Like I did actually feel like I was watching the same person through different stages of his life. Um, so that's amazing for one thing that they all tend to gravitate towards a lot of that. I agree with Ryan that Alex who played little um, Sharon was really haunting like that that kid's got a lot of depth to him at a very young age that's incredible but ashton in particular i think was maybe one of the most impressive actors in the movie just because he he exhibited so much emotion and depth that even most adults can't muster when they've been professional actors for years let alone being a teenager in this space um assuming he was a teenager which I guess I'm actually just assuming I didn't actually look up how old he was. But in this case, like, the awkwardness just rolled off of him in waves. Like, everything about him just felt, like, kind of like a caged tiger. Like, he's itchy. He's constantly at alert. But then he would have, like, an interaction with Teresa, and it would slowly just peel away. And he would be fine. And then he'd go back to his mom, and he would sort of, like, tense up again and become... um just super awkward and cut off from folks or he would engage with Kevin and like, they would just intimately like connect to each other and touch each other. And he would be, he would seem awkward by the initial touching, but then he would eventually like lean into it and relax. And it was just really interesting to see him exhibit all these little tiny micro physical uh, ticks basically that you see when someone's been abused and then finally gets like loving right it was like watching a dog who's a stray like actually get rubbed and petted by a human and be like oh this is amazing um i really appreciate that i will say in each case of each pair of of um characters for alex or for sharon and for kevin every single pair had incredible chemistry building highly with you know, teenage Sharon and teenage um, Kevin and their sexual encounter on the beach, which made sense. But by the time that they were adults, I'm like, these dudes have serious chemistry. Like, I'm completely shipping them now. It's not at all appropriate, probably. I have no idea if they've ever connected in human in real life. But man, they have amazing chemistry. Like, you can't get, you can't really, like, teach that kind of chemistry between people on screen. It was really, and it added to the realness of their story. Right, like they deeply had a connection together, and that it felt like that when you're watching them on screen. Now that you say that about their chemistry, I think that one of the most impressive things about the three act structure in this is that somehow I honestly think that you could piece apart each one of those acts by itself and have a short film that would be worthy of a lot of awards. Just having those two meet the diner and their interactions thereafter like that itself is a complete you know a complete phrase a complete sentence it's like like it's like like three different stanzas of music um it's it's just really well put together and they're more than the sum of their parts but each of the parts themselves is actually just really good and i think that you're right i think the chemistry is the sort of core that builds around especially in acts two and three i actually think as great as all the uh 
uh, the Chirones and the Kevins were together. I actually thought all the Chirones with uh, uh, Kevin's mother, played by uh, Naomi Harris, I thought that she was great with all three of the actors as well. Like that was the like that was the relationship that really sold the movie for me. You mean Sharon's mother? Yeah, Char- yeah, Sharon's mother. I always forget her name when I Paula. talk about this movie. Paula. Yeah. She did a great job. There there was there's actually a really um a really subtle thing from Act Three when his mother's calling him and blowing up his phone trying to talk to him about like, you know, when are you gonna come visit me? And if you look at the screen of his phone, his his mom isn't saved in his phone. His mom, his mom has saved as Paula. It feels right. I don't know why I re- why I recognize that, but like, yeah, it's definitely a thing. Was just like, oh, yeah, no, this is this relationship is wrought. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but that I mean that is very telling for where they were. Um, and I'm I'm glad that the movie decided to have them reconnect. Like, I think the movie would have been a lot sadder if they hadn't taken the time to have them connect again. Yeah, I feel like that third act really brought up a lot of the emotion in the in the film because it was just very negative up until you start to see all of those uh, questions that we had at the end of the second act get get answered, really. So on that note, before I talk off everyone's ear with Ashton Sanders for Static Shock. Final thoughts. Final thoughts from everyone. Uh, I'll echo something that Andre said earlier. Uh, you should watch this movie. I mean, I can't imagine that you made it this far into this podcast and haven't watched the movie. But if somehow you manage to do that, stop. We're going to be finished in like another minute or two. Go watch this movie. It is amazing. You will appreciate it. I'm going to add on to that to say that I think you should watch this movie and you should get someone else to watch this movie. Sort of thinking about what Andre was saying earlier about people it being a hard sell, like make the hard sell for folks because this film is honestly out of the the films that we've watched in this series so far, this is one of the very best of them, right? Like at this point, I think it's parallel to Into the Spider-Verse in terms of just overall best film um, in the series, which is, you know, not that I don't love, you know, Last Dragon and all that, but this is still objectively an incredible piece of, of cinema. And it's intimate and elegant and emotional in a really positive way. And I think the themes it talks about in terms of performative masculinity, of sexual identity, of acceptance, etc., are really important. So find someone that you love who needs to see it and make sure that they watch it. Yeah, I I think I have to echo all those and just say, please watch this movie, um, get more people to watch this movie. It is art. Um, I'd like to also say that I feel like this movie should be required viewing for any uh, filmmakers, cinematographers, photographers uh, in terms of being able to light black skin. It is Amen. revolutionary and how good it is. Um, and there are no excuses left after you see what they managed to pull off with this movie of having you know, ashy looking black people in your photographs. Um, they can be beautiful and layered. Um, so I, I think that I am, I'm mostly just grateful for, uh, how beautiful blackness was rendered in this movie in all of its different forms. I'm gonna be honest. This is the second Barry Jenkins film I've seen. I saw, uh, medicine for melancholy like way, way back. Uh, and that was good. This is better and it is in my movie hall of fame where i have to stop myself from watching it whenever i see it's available because i want to give myself time to forget it before i get back to viewing it like this it's an amazing movie that said next week our film is finding forrester which is another one of those movies in my hall of fame and am i forgetting anything before we clock out here you can hopefully find us wherever podcasts are found. Hopefully. So Spotify, Apple Music, um, eventually when we get around to uploading things. You can find us on Twitter at BLK Movie Podcast because all the other ones were taken except for the name Black Movie Podcast. Um, you can also catch us at blackmoviepodcast.com as soon as I get that built. All the social medias. This movie is, once again, this movie is on Netflix and Amazon Prime. If you decide to purchase it, please buy this movie. (laughs) 
Uh, please watch this movie. Please share this movie. It is very, 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 very good. And on that note, see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Black Movie Podcast. Our show is edited by Mike Knight. Our theme song is by Chris Negro Justice Brown. And our logo was created by Savannah Alexander. Even if you never heard of me, just know I'm murder beast. Leave all these kids with third degrees. Evidence is empirically laid out in front for you to see. I found the Trinity. Good people, we did memories. These are the